0: Welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. Early in his career, today's guest says that he felt like he had to be the hard-charging guy because of the environments he'd worked in and what he thought would lead to leadership success. Alden Pennington is the chief people officer at Benevis, but what you really need to know about him is the self-awareness and learning that he experienced transitioning from a manufacturing setting to a healthcare setting. He says, nobody cared about my bravado. Listen in as we talk about developing compassion and empathy for greater impact. My biggest takeaway, leadership is a game of influence and understanding every single time.
1: It's been a long winding road, and uh, I used to think that my story was somewhat novel. I found out that maybe not so much in that A lot of people get into HR much by accident, which is in fact how I arrived there. I left the University of Kentucky many moons ago and had my designs on conquering the world, right? I wanted to be an operations leader and I thought that was going to be my journey. And so early on in my career, I started with the Lexington Herald leader and was immediately in operations, thought that's where I wanted to be. But so much of my time early on was recruiting, trying to find independent contractors in the process of recruiting and selling and influencing. But it was a really challenging work environment, very early mornings, tough to find people. So I had to be pretty savvy to, to find people that were willing to do what it took. Right after that, I got into another manufacturing setting. It was another opportunity to climb up the ladder. I was an assistant plant manager at a window manufacturing operation. And this is where the kind of the hard-charging environment that I experienced prior in the, in the distribution world kind of manifested in another very hard-charging environment. Uh, manufacturing, about 90, 95% male-dominated and blue-collar workforce, this is where I thought I was going to be spending my time. But much like I had in my prior uh, experience, it was HR-related things that I spent all my time with, dealing with workers' compensation. I was dealing with recruiting, employee relations issues, benefit questions, on and on. I started to come to the conclusion that this is really where the opportunity lies. And each time I would solve an issue related to any of those items, it seemed to really enhance the operation in mass. So I started to teach myself this HR thing, try to figure out exactly what that was. Uh, Self-taught for a while went ahead and got my PHR and decided, you know what, this is where the influence lies in the organization. If I can engage the people, I can make a difference. And so thus began my HR career. Of course, as I know we'll get into, I ended up transitioning into healthcare and really took me down a very different trajectory than what I had intended uh, along the way.
0: Oh, but I just I I love when operational people see the influence opportunity and the value like you so clearly did. I love that you said This is where the influence lies. And so you wanted to focus your time on HR because of that. It's such a refreshing perspective. I mean, and no doubt serves you so well as an HR leader because you saw the impact on the operational side.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, early on, I think everybody going into operations management, at least to me, it seemed had to be kind of a hard charging personality. I keep saying that because that seems the most apt description.
0: Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like, give us—I think I know, but I wanna—I wanna clarify. Like, what do you mean by hard charging?
1: Strong-willed, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what I often found was it also was associated with a bravado of never admitting that you are wrong, always making sure everybody knows their place, subordinate boss relationship. It's a control mechanism, right? And I think that's kind of uh, a—it's a holdover, perhaps, from many moons ago. In the industrial revolution, perhaps it goes back that far where that was kind of the, the identity. You had the worker class and you had the leader class. And I think in manufacturing and distribution settings, my experience anyway, is that that paradigm exists much more often than it does perhaps in other industries. And so as I left college and wanted to go into that field, that was my understanding is that, you know, you had to really coerce workers to get things done clock in, clock out, get get everything you can from them, squeeze every bit you can from them and kind of be, you know, sometimes even a jerk to get it done. That was the way I thought things would work.
0: Did that work for you in a manufacturing environment?
1: Not exactly. No, but it was a familiar approach from what many of the employees were used to. And so I wouldn't say that it worked, but it was familiar enough that it didn't really set me back. The epiphany that I had, Andrew, was really around when I had to start dealing with employee relations issues and other HR-related stuff, being a nicer guy, solving those problems and seeing the way that they would approach me instead of dismissing their issues as quit complaining and get back to work, but solving them, it started to change my perspective. I don't know that I fully you know, understood that at the time, but it was starting to piece together what eventually became much more of my style that I have today.
0: You know, it's, it's really, your words, it was familiar, that really, that really strikes a chord for some reason, because I do think that that culture of control, hierarchy, like it's got to be done this way, like I see that in, you know, not just the manufacturing environment, but I think that's that's, it's a relatable one for us to talk about, for people to get their arms around. But it's interesting for you as a leader in that environment to say, you know, it, it wasn't quite natural for you, but it was familiar. It was what you saw all around you. It's, it's what people were rewarded for, right?
1: Absolutely. Everybody knew their place. And that sense of order in the world was, was kind of an understood. And because it was also familiar to employees and workers, they didn't question it perhaps as much as I know that we're seeing now. So kind of continuing the story on a little bit here. I did make a transition away from manufacturing, and it, it was interesting at the time because I had a couple of different job offers, one to stay in the, uh, the world of distribution, manufacturing plant type environments, and another one uh, in a healthcare care setting, um, in an acute care arrangement with St. Joseph Health System. And somebody had to take a chance on me to get me in this work environment, but ended up being the most pivotal moment of my career. I moved over, took the chance, took the job, and was immediately thrust into basically an executive-level role, sitting around the table with the executives of the biggest hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. And I went there with the same style that I had adopted and used in, in the prior setting, and man, it did not go well. I was a little too headstrong, a little too sure of myself in a way that Showed that I wasn't ready for prime time. And the the relationship that I remember the most is the chief nursing officer just looking across the table at me thinking, who in the world do you think you are, kid? And she approached me multiple times after meetings, quizzing me as to what you know about healthcare, nothing, of course. What do you know about this culture? Nothing. And it was a humbling experience. And I remember just really the first few meetings going in there so confident, thinking I had it all figured out. And then after a couple of months going in there with my tail between my legs, trying to figure out, my goodness, do I belong here? Do I need to go back to uh, the manufacturing environment? But I started to acclimate a little better and I had to draw on some of the experiences I did have where I was able to influence and ultimately, I had to figure out that all the bravado that I thought that was necessary, nobody cared about. What they cared about in the healthcare setting and the mission around healthcare, you're trying to help patients, and you're trying to help people through some of the toughest days they're ever going to have. Right. So empathy and understanding are key components, and that shines through whether you're recruiting for a staff, it shines through when you're doing employee relations. And certainly, when you're dealing with the other executives on how we move day in and day out, it's a mission driven organization. And so, those early experiences were, were pretty prescient, I think, for me moving forward. And I've, I've stayed in healthcare, I've been in multiple different healthcare settings. But from those initial experiences, I've found a way to connect with people, not as an executive, but as more of an egalitarian colleague. I just happen to have a different role and I can advocate for you. I know where you're coming from. I'm from Eastern Kentucky. And when you lose that bravado and you, you try to just join in with wherever they may be in that empathetic mindset, it's amazing how much buy-in you get. And I, I kind of serve as the employee advocate, of course, that's the HR job for the most part. And then lining that up and blending it in with the advocacy needed for the organization's goals at large, uh, but those initial humbling experiences were were certainly transformative for me.
0: I'm really curious what it was that kept you there. i'm I'm struck by your words, like do I belong here? And I can think about times in my career when I felt that way as well, but you stayed. What kept you there?
1: Andrea, I remember having I, I was shuffling through thoughts in my head about if this was the right fit for me. Do I want to do this, you know, senior leadership type thing, certainly in healthcare? And I was, I was trying to figure out other careers, like maybe, maybe I'm not built for this. Uh, so I was thinking about individual contributor roles. Maybe I, maybe I want to go be a physical therapist or something where I don't have to try to lead an influence and it wouldn't be so stressful. I, I had those thoughts in my head. I don't know that there was a single moment where I decided I'm going to tough this out, but I guess I've always had this um, internal competitiveness where that little voice in your head that says you can't quit you keep pushing forward. And I once heard, and I don't know where I got that from, but if something scares you a little bit in this context, of course, if something scares you, run towards it, not away from it. And that's been the mindset that I had there to just try to figure it out, right? I'm not going to quit. And I resolved myself to try to understand it more. And I was fortunate. I did have a mentor there that really showed me the way. And he saw the the fear in my eyes and all that bravado as it started to crumble down. He started to join me and coach me, and every opportunity that he and I had, whether it was in a group setting or one-on-one, he was an educator. And ultimately, even after he retired, he went back to teaching. That's what he did best. But as an HR executive, that was such an important lesson for me to see somebody who was an educator versus just a boss. And ultimately, through his guidance, uh, through my own perseverance and pushing through, I like to think I had a positive impact on that organization and and subsequently the other ones I've been a part of.
0: Well, and no doubt him providing that safe space to really process the situation and knowing that you had an advocate there, no doubt that that helped, helped you stay in the game. Yeah. When talking about the situation previously, you, you had said to me that earlier in your career, you were accused of being too aggressive and that that was born out of insecurity So was that something that you came to realize as you reflected on the situation?
1: Only on reflection, Andrea. I don't know that I realized that at the time. I think when you're in a situation where your insecurities are driving you, it's not always obvious that that's the case. But yes, I did get accused of being too headstrong. I would make demands of people. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't really listen to any rebuttals. I wanted people to know that I was the boss. And I can remember some really charged conversations early on where I would almost in an insulting capacity push on people to get things done because I thought that's the way it had to work. Clearly, as I've already indicated, the healthcare setting did not allow for that. It was It's a game of influence. It's a game of understanding. And I, I think certainly in the modern world, um, that is the expectation. The younger generation coming into the workforce, they expect to have autonomy. They expect to have a voice they're not just there to take orders and, and run. So it certainly was prescient for me to have some of those realizations. But it was really over time, I think, that I started to realize that my own insecurities about what I thought I was supposed to be. I do think some of it came from being from Eastern Kentucky and ended up you know, at a, at a high level working with people from all over the country, very well educated and trying to prove myself. I think that's where some of that came from. And those are healthy things at the end of the day, but they have to, the energy from that has to be channeled in the right way.
0: As you say, experience certainly is the best teacher. And I just, I think about some of the other ingredients in this story that were probably helpful to you. You've talked about your mentor, also though, that director of nursing giving you that candid feedback and asking you those questions about your healthcare knowledge. And that probably helped to surface. So good, good on her for taking the time to ask questions and give feedback. Well, so, you know, so here you are today, and your perspective around compassion and empathy, and, you know, that this is a game of influence and understanding. COVID has really highlighted for us, hasn't it, just how important those softer skills are. And you and I have been doing this work for a long time. And the conversations today, like the conversations I'm having around people development and growth and empathy are very different than they were 20 years ago, right? It's, it's more non-negotiable today, which is, I'm so fortunate to see. What about in manufacturing environments where we still see so much of that command and control and hierarchy and disempowerment?
1: You know, it, it's an interesting question. I, I, I think the, the type of work probably lends itself to that. In a manufacturing setting, you're you're not necessarily, in all cases, a knowledge worker, right? You are producing, uh, at least in my experience, you're you're producing something tangible. So you're expected to hit a particular quota. You're measured by the speed of the line, right? The product that may be coming down the line. So there's less opportunity, I think, to contribute to a broader set of problem solving that is more common as i work in a healthcare setting as as the other example however as as we've seen with things like lean manufacturing which is something that i dabbled in back in the day there are opportunities to pull people away from their workspace and get feedback as to how to improve something that i think is becoming more common certainly in 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 many different types of work environments But the knowledge worker in particular has the upside in this economy. They have an understanding of things that even leaders don't have. And I'm seeing that now. I'm not by any stretch on the tail end of my career, but I am noticing that these, you know, 27, 28 year olds coming in and working in talent acquisition, as one example, have this deep understanding of this new technology and how it works. And then these new marketing uh, components that was not anything that I used to be familiar with. And I'm having to catch up to them, right? And so th- there's no longer the, the big divide between the boss and the subordinate that I think we once saw. The people that are going to be successful now, whether it's a chief HR executive or a CEO, are going to have to listen to the other people. Technology is moving fast. And if, you, if you're too stubborn or too insecure to listen and learn from those people that are coming in... Then you're going to go the way of the dinosaur.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, and that's what you were talking about—meeting people where they are and understanding that. And that's learning agility, isn't it? That's being open to possibilities, and which creates an environment for compassion and empathy. It's, you know, it's I, I certainly see the connection there. What about reward systems and measurement systems? You know, so so much of what leaders are recognized for is built on outdated models. And you talked about production earlier and things that are tangible and we can get our arms around. How, if we're expecting leaders to be compassionate and show empathy, how do we measure that? How can we track that and reward for that in the workplace?
1: There's certainly a great deal of new developments in this space. One of the things that I, I try to do is to position leaders with no more direct reports than they can tangibly interact with at least on a weekly basis so that you can build those kinds of relationships. You can understand where they're coming from. But I think rating people or judging people in a vacuum where you give them a score of one to five based on some perception that you may have or others may have is not not really the right approach anymore. There are certainly ways now where we can measure engagement and actually talk to them about what their experience is. Because whatever you say their rating is, isn't the truth. You may be able to express your perceptions. That's your truth. Here's how I feel about X. But that doesn't necessarily define an individual. So there's a dialogue there and an openness that I think has to happen. And there's many ways to gather that information now that that really show the efficacy of, of engagement. That's not just a performance rating. I'm not sure. And, and, you know, there's a broader conversation there around performance management and those kinds of incentives. As much as the, the science around this entire area has started to change, I don't know that it's that it's been made tangible yet, that it's made practical in the work environment. But we are starting to understand that you can't just rate people, that people are entirely incapable of rating effectively. So you have to talk about the only reality you have is the truth that you experience. And that's the same for the employee. And that's where the dialogue is. And if you're able to enter into that and you do so with a frequency, like I said, you know, once per week, then the reward is often the relationship. It's the engagement into the work. It's feeling like you have an impact more broadly into the organization as opposed to a once a year. You're rated a three out of five based on criteria that I only know. And uh, good luck with that.
0: Well, and it goes back to the environment that you were talking about. I mean, because what you just described can work in an environment where I trust my team members, they're empowered, there's a spirit of community and openness. But if we're in a fear-based command and control hierarchical environment where there's a lot of fear, like that's, it's just, it's not going to work.
1: And it slows things down. If you are always on your heels, worried about making a mistake there's no way you're going to be quick or, or innovative. And, you know, it's something that as an HR person, I have to continually deal with, even with the best of intentioned leaders that I have to interact with, putting people on their heels unintentionally to the point where it slows down the works entirely. Right now in the work environment that we are in, speed is so important. Uh, we've seen since uh, this pandemic started and, and certainly since the main spike that we saw, a lot of new entrants into different areas of healthcare. a lot of startups. And so there is a land grab right now. And so the people that are doing it the old way, fear-based, slow-moving, controlled hierarchies aren't going to survive. It will be the upstarts who hire a whole bunch of smart people, engage them fully and listen. That's where the leadership models that I think are going to be successful in the future lie.
0: Amen to that. I certainly share that. Well, and I see it. I see it in the organizations that are, that are demonstrating compassion and care and concern for their employees. I see it in the results that they get. Alden, I can't stop thinking about that manufacturing environment and how we can, because I also have manufacturing clients that so, that so struggle with how to integrate compassion and empathy and I think these universal truths that we just know to be effective, like how do I integrate that into a production environment? I feel like that's the, it's messy and it's hard and I don't have any answers. But yeah, I I wrestle with that with my manufacturing clients a lot.
1: I don't know that I have any answers and it's been long enough since I've been in that environment to see what kind of progress may be made. But um, if we treat people as nothing more than cogs in the machine, they feel that and they're not going to give their best work. They're just there to collect a paycheck, and this is the place that they're doing it for now. But that's a whole different world than engagement. And we talk about the discretionary effort provided from being fully engaged. But yeah, the work environment in manufacturing is very different, and distribution is much the same. I know there's been stories about big companies like Amazon and, and some of the work practices they may have that are that are not fruitful at all. There's no easy solution as these companies and the incentives really at the high level to drive performance, to squeeze out every possible element of performance. People get that squeeze and that's a tough place to be. I don't know that I have answers. I think at least at a high level, philosophically, we know where we need to go. How do we put empathy back into the workforce? How do we put people who care about their people into the leadership ranks? Those those remain, I think, the goals.
0: Yeah, because if I'm one of those production team members, I'm naturally going to produce at a higher level when I feel cared for, when it's a safe environment, when it's an open and fun environment. So those are things, right? And those, and those are things that I see organizations striving to do and equip leaders to create those kinds of environments where they can. It goes back to controlling the controllables. It's one of those basic concepts that always, always comes in handy. Well, your story is such a good one. You know, it's from the transition from operations to HR, I so appreciate that story and the, the perspective that you have around the value of talent and HR processes and activities. So thank you for that. And then this particular pivotal moment that you shared, where you learned that your bravado's not going to be effective in this new environment, and that you're going to have to Take a step back and meet this group of people where they are based on what they need.
1: Absolutely. No question.
0: Yeah. And then the impact of the mentor through that, the feedback through that, it really highlights those important leadership elements. So thank you, Alden. I so appreciate you being here and sharing with all of us. You're such a joy to talk with. So thank you.
1: Andrea, I very much appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Please look me up on LinkedIn. I uh, check LinkedIn with frequency. So uh, send me a message and uh, happy to follow up.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.